The bandwidth for this episode of the AR-15 podcast is sponsored by Patriot Patch Company. PatriotPatch.co Welcome to the AR-15 podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you. Whether you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years, there is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. You make this show possible by clicking through our Brownells and Amazon affiliate links. The next time you order online, go to AR15Podcast.com and click through our Brownells and Amazon affiliate links. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and a small portion of your sale goes to supporting pro-gun radio like the AR-15 Podcast. Support the Firearms Network as a whole by pledging your support at patreon.com slash frn. Well, hey, everybody. We're glad you could join us again for another episode of the podcast. We're up to number 138 tonight. And so uh, JW and I have been working steadily to put on tonight's show where we are going to talk to you about SBRs or the special purpose rifle. And we're not going to talk about this in an academic sense or in a military history sense. Uh, JW's been working really hard on that uh, angle for an upcoming show, but we are going to talk to you about building one and kind of some of the things that are going through our minds when we think about the SPR as a concept. But uh, JW, why don't you tell the good folks out there about uh, Patriot Patch? Yeah, this is a kind of associate of the network here. Jake's been involved with them and uh, Ryan's been doing the de- design work. Uh, if you visit patriotpatch.co, you can pre-order the Huckleberry Patch um, I know there's a hello, my name is patch that looks kind of cool too. Uh, and there's actually stickers that represent a couple different shows on the network here. Um, so that's a great way to add to your patch collection with some real cool 3d PVC patches. Um, also the FRN is going to be involved in the 2015 bullpup shoot that's being held in Mount Carroll, Illinois on September 19th. You can find more info there at bullpupshoot.com. Well, I think that that would be an awesome thing to go through, but uh obviously I uh don't think I'm going to be uh heading up there. It's uh, another tax deadline coming up soon, so uh, I guess that's just my bad luck. But uh, hey, you know, JW, we've been talking to some folks uh, who've expressed an interest uh to uh pursue our call for help and uh we want to let you guys know out there in the listening audience that very soon we may have some assistance. And uh for those of you who have reached out, uh, give us some time. Uh, it may take us a little while to uh continue to reach out to all of you who have responded and let you know um what we need help with and see if you guys would be a fit and um give you an opportunity to help uh bring to everybody else the same show that we all love. So um I think that's going to be an awesome opportunity for uh anybody that's willing to stick it out and of course JW you're probably the most recent 
edition to tell everybody what it's like to uh, get some of the wonderful perks and the high pay and, you know, the recognition. And, of course, there's always those uh, paparazzi that are stalking you. But uh, Yeah, it's good to be podcast famous. <laughs> well, so, J.W., what have you been doing? Uh, it's uh, It's been kind of a, a busy end of the summertime here. Everybody's trying to get all their summer fun out of the way, vacations out of the way, and just uh, get down to... I don't know, a steady fall, winter, spring so that we can get uh, the normalcy back into our lives. What have you been up to? Actually, I spent all weekend in the classroom. Um, I am now a NRA certified pistol instructor. I figured I should um, get a little bit of training and certification to uh, back me up and give me some uh, tools to help out people when I take them to the range for the first time. I'm the quote gun guy at work. Um, so there's been a couple of people that have shown some interest and I've taken out to the range. And so the, uh, the instructor that walked us through the program this weekend, um, kind of gave us some other tips for, uh, really just being a good teacher. He was a guidance counselor from high school and, um, he wasn't yours, was he? No, no. Um, he was just kind of a shooter secondarily. And the whole first day was about how to be a better teacher. The second day, we had some fun on the range. Um, I pulled out a couple cans, and he I don't think he'd ever been exposed to suppressors before, and he just loved it. So he was an older guy and uh, just blasting away with the MMP-22 through the Prodigy can, and we had one of the Osprey 45s on a Glock, and um, definitely had a good time when we hit the range. Well, that's pretty awesome. So, uh, this last several weekends, I've, uh, had, uh, the good fortune of good weather and some time, and I've made it out to the range to, uh, do some shooting and, uh, took my daughter out to the range with me and, uh, I had a chance to get a, uh, PTAC 308 sighted in. PTAC, I, uh, talked to you about Palmetto State, taking that barrel back and sorting it out. And that was really quite a pleasure having to deal with them. But, um, shoots like a dream now. And then, uh, you know, I guess, uh, it being, uh, a show dedicated to SPRs, uh, this last time out to the range, I took, uh, my version of, uh, an SPR out with me and, uh, just had a blast with it. But, um, I guess that's kind of a good segue to uh, lead us into the next, uh, piece of our show, uh, our main topic. So, uh, the show is about building a special purpose rifle or what we all otherwise know as the SPR. So, JW, when someone says to you, SPR, what's your knee jerk? What is it that you are thinking that they're talking about? Well, because I'm so tax stamp happy, typically I think they're, um, mispronouncing SBR. Um, <laughs> that's what I thought you said when you, when you called and said, Hey, let's do a SPR show. Um, but actually it's, it's the perfect, uh, couple to an SBR. The SPR, uh, kind of stretches things out a little bit and it's really a precision platform that still uses 556 and really squeezes out what it can. Um, not in like a big long 24 inch super heavy barrel, but an 18 inch maneuverable, um, but still very tactical driven, um, platform. So it's 
it's got some history. Uh, like we mentioned at the top there, the Mark 12 program, um, is really where this all came from. There was an SPR prototype, another prototype, a couple different mods of the Mark 12. Um, and they're all built on this idea of a special purpose receiver. Um, that was the initial, that's what SPR stood for to begin with. Um, now we call it rifle rather than receiver, because uh, some people get kind of confused. Um, but it was a special purpose upper receiver, something that could be fielded to guys that had M16s or M4s. And it was really just an upper that they threw on and a uh, set of choices of optics. Right. Um, so it's, if you take an M16 and you shorten the barrel a little bit, that's pretty much what you're looking at. Whereas if you take a carbine and stretch it out, that's more of like the recce style gun. Um, you'll, you'll kind of hear those terms interchangeably. Guys will either say this is like a Mark 12 inspired or a DMR or a SPR sort of build versus a recce, which is more of a running through the woods, um, kind of a little bit longer reach than just a carbine, but still that kind of compact maneuverable carbine style. So this is more of the, the build that you see with a, adjustable buttstock, a bipod, maybe a longer piece of glass on it. And uh, it's really meant for squeezing out um, some more range from the 5.56 cartridge. And, you know, I think when you talk about what went into the design, I think they were trying to take the, at the time, the bleeding edge of what we knew about marksmanship and building a rifle capable of delivering what JW is talking about. So, you know, for instance, instead of having uh, handguards that basically mounted to the um, cup on the front and your D-ring in the back, they removed that assembly and put a free-floating handguard. Um, they took off your kind of standard mil-spec barrel and replaced it with a barrel that was a match grade barrel, which basically means that they put more engineering into its manufacture. Um, so, you know, certainly from a mass production standpoint, you're talking about taking the speed and consistency out of it, and you're putting on something that took more time because to get that precision takes more man hours, more direct oversight, quality control, attention to detail. So, I mean, these kinds of things certainly made this a, a non-production item for many of the kinds of companies that would make AR-15s and put it more in the, the realm of the companies that would make custom rifles. Like I think Wilson Combat has an SPR that is really quite nice, but you can see in the price where that attention to detail comes in. But, you know, I think when it comes down to it, you can translate all of those concepts into a rifle that you can build like we always talk about here and one that you can build in a cost-effective way. So, you know, I think really when we're talking about it, you're looking for a barrel um, to meet the design considerations that's going to have an 18-inch barrel. It's going to have a rifle-length gas system, which is kind of a unique combination in those barrels. You you seldom find rifle length in 
under 20-inch barrels in my experience. They're out there, but you have to look for them. Could you uh, kind of briefly explain what that gives you when you're stretching things out to a rifle-length gas? Well, when you're stretching, the rifle-length gas system is basically just taking the stoner design the way it was intended. Your cycling is more normal for the operation of the rifle. I mean, with a carbine-length rifle, you're putting a lot more force into that system in that gas tube than the rifle was originally designed for. I mean, it's mm-hmm. capable of handling that, but it's a rougher recoil. It's more force. Uh, you see that um, momentary pulse to overcome the mass of the bolt carrier um, to be one where you're driving a great deal more force in it. That's why I think you see people putting uh, heavier springs and heavier, you know, buffers in their rifles so they can kind of tame that down. So from my consideration, from my thought process, I think that in keeping a rifle and gas system, you're taking the violence out of that cycle, and that means you're keeping your rifle more steady, more stable, more on target. And mm-hmm. follow-up shots are a lot easier if you're not having to sit there and adjust yourself from the violence of a shorter gas system and having to basically dissipate the exact same volume of gas uh, coming out of the chamber for the first, you know, however many inches of your barrel. A uh, rifle-length gas system is 12 inches, I believe. 12, 9, 7, maybe it's 11. Increments of 2, but the, the long rifle-length gas system still isn't as long as your, you know, shortest 14-inch, 14-and-a-half-inch barrel. So you're allowing that, I guess, that system, that cycle, uh, to occur with the least amount of violence. Um, I think that also helps on some of your wear concerns. I don't know that that's as much of a issue for... Most of us shooters will probably never put 40,000 rounds through one of these things in its lifetime. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'd be interested to uh, have my buddy who's got a couple of the full auto lowers, he's a 0702, mm-hmm. um, bring one of those out and kind of do a comparison of this is what the AR pistol upper feels like versus an M- M4 style versus an M16 um, and just feel that for myself sometime. You know, I don't think I've ever done a direct comparison like that. Yeah. Does he have the three-rounder or the full? Just a full auto. You know, the the Marine Corps, we never had the full autos. You know, on they a, didn't trust you to uh, not just dump mags, huh? Well, it was those guys in Vietnam. Uh, apparently, that's what they were fond of doing, the mag dump. And um, they thought that we were going to be better served financially to restrict us to a three-round burst, conserve ammo, not, you know, waste it. <laughs> but, hey, you know, I guess that's a talk for another day. But, you know, the saw was a, a platform that I had uh, time on, and, uh, you know, really a 30-round burst uh, is a <laughs> – it's a lot of recoil. You know, it, it it's a compounding effect. You know, you, you don't go back to zero and start over every time, you know, the bolt sl- slams home. Uh, it's Yeah, you definitely get rocked back on your heels. Yeah. So, um, 
I think it would be interesting to take a, an SPR through that. Although I think it does really kind of cross over uh, into the gray territory of its utility. You know, I think certainly the SPR was designed to get out 350 to 600 and be effective, you know, be a lethal round and uh, be accurate. But certainly the same guys that were carrying these rifles were expected to get close in and do whatever work they needed to do. You know, I think if you're a fan of popular uh, cinema, you've seen any number of movies or perhaps read a number of books from people who've written about their time uh, in the service uh, where they've had to use this platform. And, you know, certainly they don't always get 600 yards of distance when they have to go to work. So, but, um, you know, I think really from our discussion tonight, JW, I think it's about that distance shot. And, you know, the other considerations to get close in, well, you know, if you have $20,000 to buy a full auto lower, then by golly, you're entitled to do anything you want with the upper. <laughs> um, Let's get a little specific with the barrel here. I know sure, we've sure. Um, kind of classified it as an 18-inch barrel. Um, but when guys are looking to build their own, um, obviously the twist rate question comes up. Um, you see something like a one and 12 inch, uh, kind of being the standard for the real light, uh, military surplus, 55 grain, um, sort of round. But this is a platform that actually has some heavier bullets that are designed specifically for it. I want to say it's, it's called like the Mark 262 or something like that is the right. precision, um, 556 five, round that they made for it. Um, you can really, beef things up and do like a 75, 77 grain bullet. But to stabilize that, you're going to have to um, spin it a little quicker. And so you're looking at like a 1 and 8 inch, maybe a 1 and 7 inch. Um, guys like to say that the 1 and 7 is really perfect for those heavy bullets. But if you decide to just load up some some surplus 55 grain, you might not get the results that you were hoping for. So dropping things back down to like a one and eight inch mm-hmm. seems to be kind of a middle ground that guys tend to uh, gravitate towards. You know, and that's a good point, JW, because, you know, we talk about one and seven as being this kind of, you know, ivory tower ideal. And, you know, I, I think that you can get the Black Hills 77 grain stuff, but it's, I think it's probably still a buck. Uh, you know, probably if you're twisting somebody's arm and it fell off a truck, but it's probably more like a buck fifty around. And, you know, that's a lot. Um, even when you go out and reload it, you know, I think anybody that uh listens and reloads will tell you that, yeah, reloading's a way to make each individual round cost less, but hey, you just had to spend however many hundreds of dollars buying presses and dies and you know, all the other, you know, accompanying tools to get there that's not going to, you know, be an effective way to get your ammunition until you're in your 10,000th or 15,000th round. So having a compromise in your barrel so that you can shoot lighter bullets, I think is going to make your more commercially available choices something that you can shoot and be satisfied with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think you should buy it so that you're going to be unhappy all the time. Buy it, build it, and make it what you need it to be. So, yeah, one and eight is a good middle ground. 
and it's going to get you some quality groups on those higher uh, weight bullets and and they're still match barrels so we're not talking about some slag metal barrel that you know came off of a truck again so right you're wanting to spend the extra couple dollars on a nice uh match grade barrel something um i think the mark, mark 12 is a douglas um there's even guys like mega arms have been selling um SPR barrels and 18 inch and they really put the extra time in to, mm-hmm. um, come up with a profile that is rigid, um, but also not super heavyweight. This isn't a varmint gun. It's not a big bull barrel. It's, um, something that gives you rigidity. It's free floated. Uh, it's able to hold a suppressor. Um, but it's not going to be a big boat anchor. That's that's a good point. It's not a boat anchor. And I would caution you never tie a rope to your rifle and use it as one. That's a bad bad way to end your day. Um so really when it comes down to it, I think that in terms of going into the civilian world and building a rifle capable of doing what an SPR can do, you're looking at two primary uh components, your ammunition and your barrel. And so, for me, the barrel's where you want to spend your money. Of all of the things that you are going to do here, to match that performance, you need to have that barrel. Yeah. And so, um, there are some extra things you can do. You can find manufacturers who will mate a bolt to your barrel. My guess is that if Crane built a rifle, that bolt and the the... Uh, barrel extension were basically machined as part of your chambering, and so they're essentially one-off deals. And you can get there at pretty high prices, but you can also get there at what I think is a pretty reasonable price. And so um, sub 400, probably not anywhere for less than 250. So in that range, I think you're going to be able to find, theoretically a bolt matched with a, a barrel that's going to have the SBR characteristics. And I think that's that's a, a, a good platform to start on. Right, and I'd definitely be leaning towards a threaded barrel as long as that's kosher in your state. Um, you see a lot of guys running uh, pretty big brakes on these. Um, it's something that they are looking through a lot of glass at, and so it's real nice to be able to stay right on target and follow your vapor trail and be able to call your misses and hits and um breaks just help you out. Um yeah, they might be obnoxious for the guy sitting next to you. Um but a big old break or some uh, some sort of double chamber break that has a suppressor attachment. Um you see those a lot on this sort of a SPR build. Right. Um you know, I think for me the stock on a build like this is a it's a matter of your own preference because I don't think the stock is going to make or break the rifle. I do think that if you're going to talk about the fundamentals of marksmanship, you need to know that the stock is going to be a part of your stable platform. And so it better live up to that much of your design consideration. I'm a big fan of the A2 stock just because, you know, for what it does, there's nothing that really does it all that much better. And you can store your M&Ms inside of it. 
you know, if you keep telling people that, they will take my M&Ms and I will be mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can afford a little bit extra weight um, in a build like this. If you're going to be sitting down behind it uh, with a bipod or a tripod, shooting stick, something like that, um, you could probably afford a few extra ounces to go for one of the bigger adjustable stocks that has the length of pull adjustments, the comb, the angle with the butt pad. Um, you could probably stretch the, the weight limit a little bit with some of those nicer stocks. Um, but I mean, if you got an A2 and you got your rings nice and low to your rail, um, see if it's close. If it's not, build it up with some cushion, some tape. Um, that's, that's how the professionals did it and it worked out okay for them most of the time. What do they call it? 100 mile an hour tape? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, really, the stock, make it what you need it, but don't think that your stock is going to be the thing that makes or breaks your accuracy. Um, I think the next item does have the potential to be a contributing factor to accuracy, so I think you want to put some thought into it. And and we're talking about triggers. Yep. You mentioned um, ponying up the extra cash for a nice barrel. I think this is probably the other most important spot where um, you shouldn't be afraid to drop a couple extra dollars. Um, this is where you can really mess things up if uh, you don't kind of input the right fundamentals into each shot. Um, and a nice trigger is just going to help you with that. If you're fighting a gritty mil-spec trigger um, that's real heavy and you're looking through um, 10, 15 power, it's going to have an effect. Um, whereas if you've got a nice Geisley, Timney, uh, who are the other hot shots that are doing good two-stage, one-stage triggers? Um, well, people go to um, Rock River. Uh, Night Tournament has a two-stage trigger. Um, uh, CNC, CMC, mm-hmm. uh, the Chip McCormick. Right. And we were talking about kind of the difference between the one stage and the two stage and what the advantages are there. Um, I think the biggest thing is the perceived amount of pressure when you're breaking the shot. Mm-hmm. With a one stage, say you've got uh, a four or five pound, let's say a five pound trigger. You've got a two stage and you got a one stage. With that one stage, you got to apply five pounds and then that trigger is going to break. Whereas with the two stage, maybe you'll apply three and a half pounds and you'll get a little bit of movement and you'll hit that wall of the second stage. And then all you got to do is add that extra pound and a half and that trigger breaks. So right. that take up, you you can get your way to that break a lot smoother. And uh, when you actually let the shot off, it's like you got a pound and a half trigger basically. So when it comes down to it, the trigger is always going to affect accuracy you know, if you're, if you're going to kind of get into that rhythm, you're gonna, um, you know, wait until the respiratory pause to pull the trigger. You, you don't want any tension there. You just want it to naturally be broken with the least of your effort. You know, because if you start putting tremors in there, if you start, having all of these other compounding marksmanship issues go into your shots, it's going to steal accuracy. 
So that's just one of those things where you can eliminate the hang time there. You can eliminate any of those variables by making that, you know, transition from, you know, uh, resting on the sear to falling on the uh, firing pin to next to nothing. I, I just, I, I think that if your objective is what the SPR can do, that's where you need to be aiming. And you can get by without it. You can make it your two months down the road, three paychecks down the road purchase. You'll still have your SPR and the important parts in it, and you'll be working. But I do think that you have to get there at some point, or you will never be able to get out of your rifle what it's capable of. Speaking of getting um, getting what it's capable of, I don't think anyone... Um You'd be able to catch any of our listeners coming up behind a barricade and resting their barrel uh, right on the barricade when they let off a round. And that's basically exactly what you're doing if you have a bipod on your rail and it isn't free-floated. Um, so you got to do a free-float system here. Right. Um, you can set up a like a low-profile gas block underneath it and really stretch out the rail um, to give you plenty of real estate. Um, it's an 18 inch barrel, so you can, you can look at those 15 plus inch rails and, um, really give you a ton of options. Whether you're going slimmer with an M lock or something like that, or you want the traditional just full on Picatinny all the way down, um, it's gotta be free floated because this is the type of thing that you're gonna be laying behind on a bipod. And, um, if that rail is engaging the, the front part of your barrel, that's just gonna be sucking accuracy out from it. Right. And, you know, I think a rail is one of those things that now, today, as we look at the market, there is enough competition, there are enough choices to get you everything you would want in a rail for next to nothing. And, yeah, you can spend a pretty penny on a rail, no doubt about that. But for what the rail is going to do for you, you know, you're not going to be tacking a whole lot of anything on it. You're going to be putting a piece of glass on it. And if the glass is hanging off of your upper receiver with some kind of a cantilevered mount, I mean, you could have a free float tube out there and it wouldn't matter. You know, and I think you can get a 15 inch free float tube for, you know, less than 90 bucks, which, you know, that's not bad for what it is. Right. So, you know, the free floating part is very important, but don't get sucked into that idea that you have to buy a $400 rail because that is what was on the Mark 12 and, you know, you're just a wanker if you don't have one. No, no. I mean, you get the rail because it allows you to free float the barrel and you just make sure that if you're not going to be spending the the higher end on it, you're not relying on the rail to contribute to any part of your um, targeting. You know, don't hang your Night Force scope on a, you know, $25 Chinese-made airsoft rail. That is going to be a serious waste of your rifle. Um, and so we're going to talk about Night Force scopes. It's good to pick up the topic of optics next. So, you know, I still, I cannot bring myself to think about even saving for a Night Force optic because I just think that price tag is just, it, it's, it's way too high. 
you know, for that kind of money, I could buy some really nice rifles, two or three of them. So, but, you know, when it comes to optics, I do think there are a lot of choices. Uh, JW, what do you like if you're going to talk about a 300-yard shot? I mean, are you thinking three to nine? Are you going to go with um, something in a more tactical magnification Yeah, I mean, scale? I think a one to six or something like that is really going to take care of it for you without any issues. Um, the issue with some of those, um, like the one to fours, the one to sixes, is that the um, lenses really aren't that big, the glass in them. So if you start getting into shooting at the end of the day, or into the evening under moonlight, something like that. It's really not going to transmit as much light as some of the bigger ones um, that have like a 50, 60 uh, millimeter objective um, that really just sucks up a bunch of light. Um, so like a one to six, I think is a pretty good fit. Um, it gives you that option of running it in the house, um, up close, and also stretching things out. So I think um, something like that is a really good um, all-around option, whether you're three-gunning or whether you're doing tactical shoots or uh, stretching things out a little further. But really the the traditional optic for an SPR is something closer to like a 3.5 to 10 or a 3 to 9, uh, 4 to 12, something like that, that, w- that you can actually get up to about 10 power. Um, so when you're looking out to five 600 yards, uh, you can identify targets. You can have enough uh, fine gradation in like a mill reticle to actually be able to mill things accurately. And um, so being able to reach a little bit further, 10, 12, maybe 14 power, it makes sense for a gun like this. Right. Um, I've seen a couple photos of guys running like the 5 to 25s. It seems a little much. Um, I think you're probably going to be chasing the reticle a little more than necessary. Um, and those suckers get pretty heavy. Um, so I'd probably dial things back a little from there. If you are at like a four to four to 12, something like that, where the, the lowest magnification magnification you're going to have is like a three or four power. Um, some guys do the offset red dot or maybe some 45 degree irons. Um, something that you can use if, um, a target's popping up real close or you're moving through a structure um, and you want an up-close targeting system, um, you see a lot of guys with RMRs in offsets mm-hmm. or even strapping things onto scope rings. Um, so there's, if, if you are going to stretch it out and have that long capability, you're going to want to cover yourself for the, the up-close situations as well. And, you know, I think that really that doubles back on that whole idea of, of- I mean, what are you going to use an SPR for? I mean, we know what the SPR was designed to do. And it included basically having to be close up. You know, but if you're going to build an SPR because you want something that you can take game with reliably and accurately, you want to build something where you can go to the range, then, you know, some of these crossover considerations aren't necessary. You know, like JW was saying, in this build, weight isn't necessarily the important factor because it's not really something that you're going to put on a, you know, a single point sling and walk around with. Um, but at the same time, you know, at the same time, it'd be a great deer rifle if you can right. hunt with a semi-auto. And um, having that ability to do the close-up stuff 
really does make some sense if you are going to, say, figure out how to take an SPR concept, build it at home so that you can go and compete in a local three-gun match so that you can reach out to 350 yards with ease and yet still take in some of the closer um, uh, targets on courses that aren't going to let you have the legs to do that. So, yeah, right. there weight is going to matter because you're going to be hauling it around. Um, but, you know, it just goes back to why you're building it, what you're going to do with it. So, you know, and, and optics, you know, I think you mentioned a great point, JW, you know, putting that, you know, 25 power tactical, you know, scope. Telescope. Or, yeah, you know, it's, it's like driving a Ferrari, you know, in a school zone. It's an absolute waste of its capabilities. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that you should tame some of those desires with a recognition of the marriage of capability with utility. And that's really all it comes down to. You get yourself the scope that's going to allow you to fulfill the potential of the rifle. So, you know, I, I think that covers a lot of the basic build considerations, JW. Mm -hmm. You know, really when it comes down to uppers and lowers, I don't know that you're going to necessarily find anybody that will tell you that theirs will give you that much more accuracy. There are some assembly techniques that will eke out a little accuracy. You know, um, being able to um, mat match the barrel extension to the face of your upper receiver and, and, you know, have it be perfectly square. There's a reamer for that. Um, making sure that your bolt is matched to the barrel extension, you know, buying the right combination will do that, making sure they're trued up and all those really advanced machining and and machinist techniques. Those are things that, that most builders are incapable of imparting on their rifles, but they're things that you can have someone else do that for. And then for not a great deal more cost. But I think that when it comes down to it, that's pretty much the basics of what you're going to put into your build. Um, but you know, here's another thing that I do think is important to talk about, JW, and it's the fact that in the SPR as a concept, more often than not, it's silenced. It has a suppressor on it, and you know, your muzzle brakes, your muzzle device, it's the attachment point for that suppressor. And so, you know, obviously, for those people out there who are looking to mirror the military uh, expression of the SBR, the Mark 12, Mark whichever. Yeah, they're going to go with a very specific one. But, you know, uh, I think J.A.W. and I both agree that sky's the limit. In this day and age, with all of the offerings, all of the companies that are doing uh, a bang-up job making great products and bringing those products to the market and for a very reasonable price, I would say, you know, pick the one that you just can't live without and use it. But I do think that if you're going to get into an SPR to fully fulfill its potential, that's a part of the consideration. Nothing, JW? No? No? Color cup? I don't know. Um, 
I'm never going to argue with you when you say throw a can on it. So <laughs> you're speaking my language. Well, aside from the basics, uh, what else is there to throw in a rifle that really kind of brings it to fruition, that that uh, puts it over the edge in terms of all of the things that we want to expect out of an SBR? Um, well, I guess I keep mentioning the bipod. Um, Harris's are great. Atlas's are a little heavy, um, but pretty solid themselves. Um, you got to get some sort of bipod if you're if you're looking at a little bit heavier build that you want to spend some time um, hitting small things far away. Um, that's gonna just make your life a lot easier. Um, yeah, laying it down on your pack is a nice solution, but um, there's really a lot of uses for the bipod, even if you're standing up and resting against a barricade or something like that. Um, you're gonna have to hook your bipod to your rail somehow. So whether that's a Picatinny to a bipod stud adapter, or there's some really cool little tiny ones that go into your key mod or your M-Lock um, that give you a bipod stud. Um, so if you want to drop that bipod and uh, just run a little slicker, uh, you can do that, and then all you really have is a stud hanging out there. Um, other things to hook on, we mentioned offset sights. Um, if you want to do night vision, uh, you've got a big, long piece of rail hanging out in front of that optic, so there's probably going to be room uh, to do some sort of clip-on system. Um, using, like, a PVS-14, it might not be the best um, option uh, because you've got some more magnification. You've got a 3 to 9 power, and so what you really want is a clip-on that'll ride in front of your um, magnified scope and allow you to get a close-in um night vision view um and that extended rail that is co-aligned with your upper receiver is going to let you get everything in line and uh solid so that you can have a repeatable zero um rather than having to re-zero everything every time you clip something on well you know i, I do think that that does bring up one accessory that really wasn't part of our discussion. I think you'll see in some of the SPR um, versions, there is a unified rail accessory that stretches from on top of your upper receiver all the way down the length of your handguard or your rail, whichever it is that you have on there. And it basically provides one unified piece of real estate. And I'll tell you, um, the SPR, uh, the Mark 12, uh, some of those components aren't designed to have rails on top, uh, particularly the PRI. And so that unifying piece of rail that ties the rail with the upper together and makes that piece of real estate um, one is something that uh, is going to allow you to do exactly what JW talked about, you know, throwing anything on top of that, and it's going to be repeatable any time you do it because there is nothing in that one piece of material that can change because it is what it is. Um, I think that it's kind of a nuanced piece, and it's something that's not critical to the build, nor is it critical to the accuracy, but, you know, Certainly, if you're going to put night vision on it, you now have taken up a great deal of real estate that went way beyond your upper receiver. So I think that that's something that you might want to consider. 
if you're trying to eke out that accuracy and make it live up to your expectation of what it should do. One other small thing I'd add is um, maybe a small inventory of 20-round mags. Um, it's real nice to be able to get your rifle real down low to the ground. And the 30-rounders, um, especially if you're doing any sort of high angle up a hill, um, they could give you some problems where you really have to get your bipod legs extended real far or up on top of a pack, um, and then things start to get unstable. So getting a 20-round mag, uh, maybe a, even a 10-rounder, if if you're in one of those crazy states, I guess, um, <laughs> lets you get a little bit lower. 20 rounds is probably a great fit because then it's just a little bit shorter than the uh, the hand grip. Um, so get a couple of those. You, you typically aren't going to be ripping through rounds um, with something like this. So 20 rounds will do you and uh, lets you get real, real low and uh, low profile behind the gun. Well, I think that covers a pretty wide swath of this discussion. Um, you think we can do a ad hoc uh, run through on manufacturers on some of our barrels? You know, I think on the SPR you mentioned, who was it, Mega Douglas Arms? Douglas was the one that I mentioned, Douglas. yeah. Mega, Mega definitely makes one. And those Douglas barrels, I think they're made off at Krieger Blank. So, um, I think you can probably find the same, uh, things you're looking for at White Oak Armory. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. You mentioned Wilson Combat. They make a barrel. Yeah. Bravo Company makes a barrel. Daniel Defense makes a barrel. I think, uh, Brownells. You can find the whole host of barrels at Brownells. And you can probably find many of those manufacturers, uh, at Brownells, uh, for retail purchase. Um, you know, I think that there is a whole seg- segment of the population of barrel manufacturers who all they do is high end in that 250 to $400 range. And I think that you can, you know, put a little Google time into it and find some of those. Um, you know, Shillin is one that comes to mind. Uh, I think Krieger makes barrels they sell retail. There are others. So uh, don't be afraid to just kind of, you know, stretch your legs and do a little Googling and find out what's out there in that higher end. Cause you just may be surprised at uh, what you can afford if you're willing to put $400 into a barrel. Um, of course we discussed the trigger manufacturers and, you know, really when it comes down to it, I think that those are the, the big things. So those are some starting points for you. I hope that helps. And certainly if you have any suggestions for us to pass on, let us know. We'd be happy to do that. But I, I think that's all that I have to say on that. So we are at the end of another week and we have another winner for Otis Technologies giveaway. And so it's David Dickerson. So David Dickerson, we're going to reach out to you and let you know how to get a hold of us and claim your winnings. But uh, we want to remind the rest of you that the fine folks at Otis Technology have sent over a mountain of rifle maintenance tools and cleaning kits for the AR-15 and AR-10. And because of your wonderful participation all this time, our mountain is starting to not be quite so big. But uh, we've been tasked with giving the whole mountain away, and we want to ask you to watch for the special posts on Facebook to get a chance to win some of the awesome products made by Otis Technology. 
We'll give away a complete MSR cleaning kit in either 556 or 762 in the middle of each month up until Christmas when we'll give away a complete Otis Technology Elite Cleaning System to one lucky listener. So during the alternating weeks, we'll be giving away a host of Otis tools and cleaning supplies to everybody that participates. So we're looking for you. We'll hope to see you in our winner's circle. Um, how about some feedback? We had a huge feedback uh, response this week. I have a uh, first item here from Stuart. He says, enjoyed your last show, especially the personal experience on parts you used that really seemed to work. Uh, I think he's talking about your top ten list there. Yeah. He says, for future shows, I'd love to have you do a comparison uh, between the newer CLPs that have been coming out, such as Frog Lube, Fire Clean, EWL 2000, etc., a lot of internet chat has these CLPs as either being the greatest thing ever to the worst snake oil scams in the world. Would also like to have a future show covering the DI versus piston debate. Uh, yeah, there's been some drama, uh, kind of on the internet forums lately about certain chemical compositions of, uh, some of the CLPs. And so I think there's some discussion to be had, uh, maybe some, uh, even other hosts on the network that have experience, we could probably get a couple of people together to, uh, hash out the, the great lube debate. Are you kidding me? The last time we had a great lube debate, we, we sent out a feeler to the listener or to the, to the, the cast and crew. And you know what? I don't think there was anybody that gave the same answer twice. I mean, I think they were all over the place like a shotgun, uh, blast. Yeah, I remember that. But, you know, I, I think it is a good discussion. And, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll take that up here, uh, probably before too long. Um, you know, I'll have to pick your brain on the, the drama and see where it's, uh, leading us, JW. Yeah, I may have insinuated something at the, the end of last episode. <laughs> so, um, Tom A writes in, Hi guys, I really like the show, but I think there may be something wrong with your RSS feed. Alright, I'm gonna sound stupid, but what is an RSS feed? Do you know, JW? I believe it's real simple syndication. Okay. Um, I'm a big RSS junkie. I was, I was in the Google, uh, reader world for a while before they shut that down. I'm a Feedly guy now. Um, but it's basically a way to subscribe and get updates whenever a website pushes an update. You're okay. basically the first one to know. Um, so he says, I listened to you guys through Downcast, and I haven't received your show from the 22nd yet. I thought it may have been my app, so I deleted you, your show, and resubscribed, but now there are no episodes available to download. Well, Tom, as you know, we sent this up to the flagpole, and uh, our illustrious leader has taken care of it. But, you know, I think this is a, a point. I don't know how many times we let people know this, but I believe that as soon as we have had someone respond in with that query about they haven't been able to find the show, I've sent it up the flagpole and the network's had it fixed generally same day. So... Don't be afraid to write in and say, hey, you know, uh, you guys are really the apple of my eye and you make my day worth having, so I can't find you and I'm really depressed. Please come back. We'll take care of you. We will always take care of our listeners. All right. So you want to grab the next one here, JW? 
Yeah, so we've got one from Michael A. He says, Reed, I was listening to the 450 Bushmaster show and heard you call your call for people to participate. Um, I'd love an opportunity to connect with you and the guys. Um, awesome. He tells a little bit about what he's up to. Uh, he's actually an Army Reserve soldier, loves to shoot. And, um, yeah, thanks for getting in touch, Michael. Uh, Reed, you're the one that got the feedback. Have you, have you gotten back in touch with him? Uh, no, I haven't. And I want to apologize to you, Michael. But yes, we did receive this. I'm going to reach out to you. We've been, uh, taking care of some other things in the pipeline here. But, you know, we need all sorts of help. So I'm going to touch base with you and let you know what we need and where you might be able to help us out. And we'll see if we can't, uh, get this, uh, sorted out. Awesome. Stephen S. wrote in, I really liked your Money Well Spent episode. You guys on the network get all of my admiration. The dedication it takes to put out a show every week is amazing. I download almost all the shows on the FRN, and I'm trying to catch up on all of them in my free and driving time. On the last show, uh, you asked for subjects. Uh, I'm about to begin my first AR build. I'm building a 20-inch bull barrel for mid-range. I don't have the largest budget at my disposal, and I'm interested in the M223 model Nikon scope, probably 4 to 16. I would like to know how they stack up to Vortex and Bushnell in the same price point, maybe the Vortex Viper HS and the Bushnell Elite Tactical uh, for a little more. Uh, thanks for all your hard work. You know, I think that we can probably put together a comparison of some of the optics in that range. Wouldn't you say, JW, that this is kind of the range of what we were talking about above for an SPR build? Yeah, I think he's got a couple choices here. I want to say in like the two to three hundred dollar range. Um, I'm probably going to push him towards Vortex just because of my great experience with them and the warranty behind them. Um, they're not a sponsor or anything, but maybe we should push them to sponsor the show sometime. <laughs> do, do we get um, free glass? I don't think we do. Yeah, I, I got a couple pieces sitting here. We got to figure out a giveaway. You know, I think what we need to do is have people write in and contribute in some way. How, how should we have them do that? Feedback is, is, I think we should definitely do like audio feedback. Like you have to use speak pipe or something like that. And we could make a whole show on speak pipe feedback. Yeah. But I want, I want our listeners to give us content. Mm. Well, we'll take this up in our, our staff meeting folks. We won't bore you guys with the details, but we're getting close, but I think that we are going to be able to have something, uh, Probably nailed down here in September so that we're looking at a 30-day turnaround for each of the contests. So we'll open those up here pretty soon so that you guys can get your hands on them. And, hey, that'll be right in time for hunting season, I think. So we'll, yeah. we'll see if that'll work for you. Yeah, but, Stephen, if you're um, looking for any features in particular – um, tactical reticles, certain types of turrets. Um, that's kind of where things will break down in the Vortex product lines. I know the PST is a really good one for more of the tactically oriented, um, feature set. Um, the HS, I think, I, I'm assuming that, uh, stands for hunting, uh, maybe hunting and shooting. Um, there's kind of some feature sets that you can decide between and see what's, right. what's your priority, whether it's, I zero this once and then maybe shoot a couple rounds uh, each year before the season or it's something that 
I'm, I'm always twisting the knobs and dialing in. Okay. I'm shooting one at 150, one at 850, one at 450. Uh, and, and you're really cranking the turrets all over the place. Um, so yeah, take, take a look at those. If you've got any more specific, uh, concerns as far as feature sets that you're looking for, maybe we could kind of narrow your options a bit. Well, before we leave feedback, I want to let you know that we do gaze at all of our feedback. So we see it on Facebook. We present it here. We see, I don't think we get anything on Instagram, do we? Um, but you know, we also oh, see yeah. the we, feedback. We get some pretty, uh, pretty regular listeners that are always tagging us and I all like right. seeing those. But we also get feedback on iTunes. We want to let you know that we do see it. And you know, it is helpful always to see feedback. But, you know, feedback is more than just an open criticism. An open criticism without the constructive component is just criticism. And essentially it comes down to being treated like opinions. And, you know, everybody has one and nobody wants to, uh, you know. So we love having critical feedback. But you have to be specific because... That's the only way that we're going to improve the show. And we understand you may not like somebody's viewpoint. You may not like the way they came across. You know, that's not really anything that you can constructively criticize. You're just not going to like them. And, you know, frankly, I served in the U.S. Marine Corps so that every one of you could have an opinion and freely share it. But at the same time, it doesn't help me make a better show for you. So, by all means, tell me when you think that we have failed you. Tell me when you think that we got something wrong. But tell me what it is. You know, to say that I got something wrong in episode 128 is absolutely meaningless. Because I can't tell you that I know which five seconds of something that uttered from my lips you're talking about. And as I'm told quite often, I run my shows too long. But please, please, please tell us what it is that's getting under your collar, and we will do our best to resolve it. So, If you just want to say you're stupid, I don't like your face, that's fine too. Yeah, but we can't really fix that. <laughs> just make sure to connect it to a five-star uh, rating. <laughs> So with that, I do want to remind you all, hey, it's your feedback and your participation that helps us all get better. So keep it coming. We do appreciate it. So I guess with that, it's uh, time for us to uh, end tonight's show. Um, you can send us any questions or comments at feedback at ar15podcast.com. You can also send us a recorded voicemail by using the illustrious speak pipe plug-in on the right-hand side of our AR15 podcast website. We don't hear enough from our listeners that way. Subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free on iTunes or on Stitcher and leave us a review on the show so we can be placed higher in the searches for potential listeners. And then, as always, you can share your pics with us on Instagram at AR15podcast and tag your pictures with hashtag AR15podcast. Uh, and JW, I'm going to let you pick this up since I have no idea what Periscope is. I tried Periscope the other day from the range and I uh, had a couple people chiming in about, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I love it. And also, 
oh my gosh, you, you crazy Americans and your guns. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a great cross section of who ends up clicking over to your, uh, uh, broadcast. Um, but I'll try and pull that up next time I'm at the range. If you follow us at AR15 podcast, uh, you can set up a notification and so you can tune right into the live transmission and ask me questions and, uh, we can have a little, little conversation. Uh, you can watch us live on Google Plus, uh, also over at YouTube. If you just search for us both places, uh, with AR15 podcast, you'll see our archive of video recordings and uh, a couple of range videos we've been able to put together. Uh, obviously you can follow us on Facebook where we do our giveaways and provide, uh, updates throughout the week on things that we're thinking about, uh, and things in the news. Um, there's other really great podcasts on the FRN, the firearms radio network. So make sure to check out, uh, another show. If you haven't listened to it before, uh, we might have a, a couple new ones around the corner. Um, so keep, checking out firearmsradio.tv just to get connected with all the other great hosts. Don't forget to use our Brownells affiliate link for all your your AR-15 parts or other firearms uh, or ammunition needs uh, at ar15podcast.com slash parts. And for everything else that you're shopping for, visit Amazon through our affiliate links. Uh, You'll see them on the sidebars of our website, also at firearmsradio.tv slash Amazon. All right, everybody, have a great night. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back to talk to you next week. See you later, guys. you're thinking you're thinking did he fire six shots or only five now to tell you the truth i kind of forgot in all this excitement but being this is the guns of hollywood podcast on the most popular pro-gun podcast network in the world and will blow your eardrums clean out you've got to ask yourself a question have you subscribed yet well have you punk gunsofhollywood.com or search guns of hollywood on itunes or your favorite podcatcher app, Punk. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.